I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I am Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. I'm here with my dear friend, my colleague, I need another nickname? I don't know. No, no more uh, nicknames. No, no more nicknames. Uh, Mr. Sean Latimer. Hello. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. You weren't in the room before we were recording, but I was talking about uh, at church, I had the opportunity to deliver the sermon or the message I preached mm-hmm. on, on Sunday, and uh, we were talking to Brian Tong about he is always very good at helping me with his podcast to stop saying um, and I told him, he was like, you never sent me the the podcast for your sermon and i said i can't send it to you because i say um like 300 times did you go through and count or you just knew it was like the second time i listened to it and i started counting and i almost had to stop listening to it because it's like it's like if you're sleeping in your bed and you hear the faucet dripping yeah it's like the only thing you can focus on so now I'm really being conscious in this podcast about saying um. It is very difficult. I'll just hold my hands up and have like a live tally uh, count every time you do it. I will close my eyes. Do not do that to me. So uh, maybe that was an um. So maybe that's appropriate intro for this yeah. topic. We uh, called this return on stress. And one of the things I talk about is that if you work in finance – there are a lot of metrics, taking two figures, comparing them one to another, calling it a ratio, think return on investment, price to earnings ratios. What I want to talk about today is a metric you won't hear about in the financial textbook, and that's return on stress. Now, the nice thing about return on stress, it's very easy to calculate. It's always going to be zero. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you look at a lot of these uh, ratios that have come out, and there's uh, newer ones too. And and it almost seems like it's uh, marketing. Because if you think about the people that come up with these ideas or ratios or theories, the ideas you're trying to show, oh, if this happens with the company, it's gonna it's projecting this future success of its earnings or its growth. But realistically, it's coming from asset management companies or mutual fund companies. Well, when I when I think of that, it's like almost they try to spin it in a positive way why their theory is right. It's not necessarily an empirical fact. What we do know is a fact that you stressing about it, it's not going to change the outcome. It's like the entire industry is trying to decide what is noise and what is signal. Because mm-hmm. what you're saying is that these companies are looking for these ratios to say, this is a precursor to a signal of something either positive or negative. That was the best word, signal. Yeah, we're seeing this, and we believe it'll turn into that. And and they'll probably use some sort of, maybe what they'll call evidence, but it's still speculation. I hate to throw somebody under the bus Oof. on this podcast, Oof. but there is a, an advisory group that used to host, and they're. I really like the folks that do this, it's more of me laughing and being critical of the title of the conference, but uh, the conference was evidence-based investing. And I was thinking, well, isn't all investing supposed to be evidence-based? Right. But by saying that, it almost feels like you're declaring that you have a monopoly on truth. we figured it out. <laughs> yes, we have solved the riddle. So the reason I want to talk about return on stress is because stress was so high in the month of September. September was ugly. The markets, as measured by the S&P 500, were down more than 9%. 
that's a significantly ugly standout month, which means anxiety peaks, means stresses start to peak, and ultimately it leads to people potentially making bad decisions. Yeah, and uh, I, I like how you wrote in the article about uh, clients don't like being told certain things, even though that's probably the right thing to be told. And the reason being is probably because they've heard it before. And I try to kind of lean in on that because if they heard it before, I ask them what they did or how they felt at the time. And I find out they felt pretty similar to the way they feel now. And then I ask them what happened. And I go, everything worked out. And I'm like waiting for the light bulb moment. You know, that's why I like Zooms because I can kind of read their like facial expressions. I'm waiting for them to be like, oh, yeah. It did work out. Or, oh, yeah, I did make a or or I made a mistake then. And then hopefully they don't make that mistake now. Zoom meetings are a lot better than phone conversations, correct? I think so, because in a Zoom meeting, if they're silent, there's still communication happening. You know, you can read their body language. You can see if they're shaking their head yes and smiling or if they're shaking their head no and they look confused on the phone. If they're silent, you're kind of just hoping that it's working out. I don't know if I used Zoom much at all before COVID. No. But now I really enjoy it. There are times where we have trouble with the audio and I'll leave the video on and just call the client. So we'll be talking on the phone, but the video will be playing because like you're saying, you're picking up all those extra parts of communication that you only capture through body language. Yeah, it is funny. Zoom definitely added a, a layer of convenience. Do, do you remember I, I bought Skype business when I first came to the Bonson Group? And uh, this was about four years ago. And I thought, oh, we have clients all over the country. They're going to love this video conferencing. It's like I'm there. And no one wanted to do it. No one felt comfortable being being on a camera or wanted to do a video meeting. And uh, then COVID happened. And now it's the opposite. Now I have people that live 10 minutes away. And I'm like, oh, are you still coming into the office? They're like, oh, can we just jump on a quick Zoom? <laughs> it's like, oh, man. All right. The pendulum has swung. Yeah, that adoption curve was so important. Because once more people adopted it, they weren't nervous about clicking a link or mm-hmm. downloading something. So now it's like common knowledge for people to use it. Yeah. But those things that you're talking about, I in the article, I called them uh, familiar financial platitudes. And that is that an investor knows what an advisor is going to say, which puts me and you, the advisor, sometimes in a position where we're pausing and saying, what should we say? So some of those things I wrote down, and it's not an exhaustive list, stay the course. This too shall pass. You are one day closer to the bottom, right? That's always true. You're one day closer to the bottom. I don't know how to solve that riddle. There's tension there that those probably are important things for an advisor to say, not because of what they're saying, but because of what they're encouraging. I understand when people get in moments of fear, when they feel cornered, they feel like they need to take action. But as an advisor, you know, it's that action that usually gets people in trouble. It's usually most financial damage is caused by poor investor behavior. Yeah, I'm thinking of a particular case where um, in the month of September, I I got a phone call and, and it was pretty similar conversation to what you're describing and and i probably didn't say exactly one of these buzz words or sentences but um i started to go down that path and he said whoa 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 whoa! i'm feeling like i'm being handled right now and i do not want to hear that and i was like oh boy i've never heard that term before what does that mean handled means like uh 
I think it means like you're handling them like with care, like, oh, like you're using like the corporate jargon to calm someone down mm. and like, don't give me what you tell everyone. He said something along the lines, like, don't just tell me what you tell everyone else. And I remember I was like, but I tell everyone what I believe and now I don't know what to say. <laughs> and uh, I definitely felt caught off guard and, and it was like, oh man, you're not going to like anything I'm going to say right now. But, uh, but it was an uncomfortable, you know, 15 minute conversation and I'm, glad we had it because I, I feel like when you have relationships with people and you're talking about things that are sensitive, like someone's money, it's important to have kind of that tension and uh, that that's what trust is built on. Yeah. Being vulnerable in those moments and even being willing to say, I don't know what you want me to say. Yeah. And just pausing and allowing them to talk. I was in a similar conversation yesterday and I know that this particular client is sensitive to these platitudes. So what I was thinking through, hey, what if we both close our eyes right now and we think one year later from now? And let's start to bet in our own minds what we think markets are going to look like. Now, as my eyes are closed, I'm going to tell you, client, I actually think markets look pretty positive because I'm drawing from a foundation that says when markets have been as ugly as they have been, the future plus one year return, typically, based on probabilities, looks pretty attractive. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when you've dug a pretty deep hole when it comes to investing, that's usually the most opportune time on the go-forward basis. Now, I think when he closed his eyes, he probably saw a different vision. He probably saw Death, things getting... Destruction. Yeah. <laughs> that kidding. recency bias of things getting worse. So that would be a good point to pause and say, hey, where are we getting these two different paradigms from? Yeah, I, I, I've probably said this before in the podcast, but I think it's really funny. And I say it often, but, uh, you know, the stock market is the only place where you're in a store, everything goes on sale, and everyone runs out the front door instead of buying things. And so there, there's been recent conversations where people are having, you know, financial windfalls or things are happening or changing. And they say, you know, how should we invest this? We probably should sit in cash for a year or two and wait and see how things play out. And I was like, well, no, wouldn't you want to invest when things are less expensive? And, and it, it's just such an interesting concept where you have that, like you said, recency bias where I feel really bad right now. The last thing I want to do is feel worse. But uh, you, you do have to be bold and kind of lean into the pain. When I was blessed with the opportunity on Sunday to give that sermon, it was kind of interesting because I did a lot of preparation over four or five weeks. For me, a lot of the time, preparation is starting with notes on my phone. And then as I think of things, I add notes. But I'm kind of always kind of meditating on that future lesson I'm going to give or whatever it might be, so that I'm thinking about, hey, what things can I add to this list? And as I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to, or maybe you, a lot of those thoughts come to me in the shower. So I'm taking a shower and I'm like, oh, right when I get out, I'm going to add this note or I'm going to add this scripture. Or here's kind of how I can connect these puzzle pieces. The interesting thing is that when Sunday came around, I had practiced with my wife two or three times, taken notes, kind of revised. For me, it's always pruning, right? I start with a, a longer list of things I want to talk about and it shrinks and shrinks and shrinks down to that concentrated version that I think best represents what I'm trying to get across. Interesting thing, probably a few hours before I was ready to do it, a thought came to my mind because I was going to give a message on faith. And when I write thoughts on money, I always think 
there's these financial buzzwords that people use a lot, but they don't always know what they mean. And in religion or church, it's the same. So I thought, what's another way to describe faith that would resonate with people? So the way I described it was this. Faith isn't having clarity in the process. It's having clarity in the outcome. And when I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about investing, I was like, wow, that relates a lot. Mm -hmm. Because as an advisor, I don't have clarity in the path of how you're going to exactly... I know how you're going to get to your goals, but I don't know what the sequence of events that are going to happen to actually get you there. I'm not saying that perfect on the podcast, but I would encourage you to look at the written piece because I put three pictures that I drew. I just drew them on the computer and they were, hey, this is how markets actually behave. And you can imagine that looking like a heart rate monitor, right? Peaks and troughs and (laughs) all that. But we know over time that results are on the top right of that chart, right? Things grow over time. Uh, It just feels like a roller coaster to get there. Then I put another chart that says, hey, this is how investors wish markets behaved. And it looks like an annuity presentation, right? Mm -hmm. Just a straight line of fixed returns, but getting you to the same destination, right? There's always a start point and an end point. And let's make it easy. Maybe for somebody with a two-year-old that wants to save for college, which is financial goal, that's 16 years. Start point is two years old. End point is 18 years old. Then I put the chart that shows how investors see and there is no line. There is no clarity on the path of how you get from dot one to dot two. It's basically saying, hey, you have a two-year-old, Sean. You don't. Or wait, you almost do. Almost. Almost do. So you have a two-year-old in this hypothetical, and you want to pay for college. So we look at, hey, what's a good estimation of what college will be in the future? And then we back into that number. What sort of rate return would we need to get there? What type of investments would support that rate of return over that long of a time horizon? When do you have to rebalance? When do you have to adjust? When should you reduce risk as you get closer to that date? And then we design a portfolio and we design a financial plan. But we're designing it based on the finish line. We're not designing it based on, if we thought of a marathon, on mile two or mile three. We don't know what obstacles we're going to hit there. So for a financial advisor... We have clarity in the outcome, but we don't have clarity in the path. And another way to say that in math terms, the dispersion of outcomes are very wide when we're looking in the short run. Mm-hmm. The dispersion of outcomes are really tight when we're able to define things in the long term. That's right. So I have two things to say. Number one. That was a long rant. Sorry. That was really long, but it's okay. Number one, I figured it out. You haven't said, um, once on this podcast, I think you took too much time to prepare for your sermon. You should just wing it like you do with Tom and just do it like two days before and then you're set. <laughs> what you don't know is I'm not winging it right no, now. I'm just kidding. I'm, no, I'm consciously not doing um so that when I talk to Lucas after, I'm going to say, you don't have to edit much because <laughs> I just saved you a lot of time. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad to hear that. So that was number one. Number two, and this one's more on a more serious note, uh, Trevor, you're going to know this. You're going to know the statistic i just said um huh yeah you're gonna know the statistic on this but isn't there some sort of stat for clients who only check their statements or accounts a certain period of time and anxiety or i don't remember the exact uh white paper but it talked about uh it relates really well that they were 
much less stressed because they only checked their account once a quarter or once every six months or once every 12 months. And I remember talking to someone during the COVID moment who checked their statement at the beginning of the year, and we had our next conversation in June. And they go, yeah, I haven't really looked. Did the markets go down a lot? And I remember sitting there like, oh, my goodness. You saved yourself like weeks and weeks of pain and heartache because you, you just had faith and you didn't look at it. That's what that third chart reminds me of is the person who checks it during an annual review or every six months and, de- and doesn't worry about what might be on a day-to-day or week-by-week. It, it's kind of a powerful chart. It takes us back to last week, too. You really liked, maybe it was the week before, but you really liked that analogy of if you're going to bake a cake, you mm. don't put it in the oven and then take it out one minute later, test it, and see, does this taste like I want it to taste? Because it hasn't had its whole cook time. Right. So that I think that's why there's that tension point between advisors and investors. And I don't think that they know that they have those paradigms. As an advisor, you think to yourself, I've been very thorough and very thoughtful. There's a rhyme or reason for everything that's in this portfolio. All the puzzle pieces fit together the way that I wanted them to do. But you don't have control if you're designing something with a cook time. Again, we're using that as an analogy of 10 years. You don't have control over what's going to happen in 10 months. But then you feel uncomfortable as an advisor when somebody is unhappy with the results after 10 months and it didn't meet their expectation. And then you're, you're troubled because you're like, wait, how do I solve for the returns I need over 10 years but make them comfortable over 10 months? And then you realize you can't do that. Right, Right? Because there's that tension in investing between compounding and stability. If you want to compound and grow something, you have to accept instability. If you want stability, you have to sacrifice compounding or growth. And there's those trade-offs. So an investor naturally doesn't think like that. But you as an advisor, you just feel torn. And then you find yourself sometimes butting heads or somebody accusing you of what's that word we used mm. being a holder or what it was oh that? handling them. handling yeah handling them and then you're you feel stuck you're like i don't know what to say so for me as it always is writing this thoughts on money was so helpful to say oh it's three really different paradigms it's what markets actually do it's what investors wish markets did and it's how an advisor, financial planner sees markets. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And using that analogy is important because if a client or someone seems uh, unhappy 10 months in and they're saying, you know, why'd you do this or why do you have it like that? It's common for the advisor to feel maybe not defensive, but kind of like, oh, wow, I thought we were on the same page. And, uh, and it's interesting because let's say this particular person was invested in like an index or something. Your your first thought could be like, well, wait, if you did it the way you were doing it before, you'd be way worse off. But that's not really the answer. It shouldn't be combative. Remember, it's supposed to be a collaborative shoulder-to-shoulder effort. And the relationship should be longer than 10 months. should be the rest of our lives. So it's it's kind of hard to, you know, not get defensive, take a deep breath and go, wait, wait, wait. I don't think we should compare this or that. It's too short of a time frame. And uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. The maturity of an advisor is the ability to put yourself in another person's shoes yeah, and say, let me not use what I know. Let me kind of see it from their perspective. What's the foundation that they're drawing from and what conclusions are they coming to? Do you think that comes from, uh, and this is 
big time assumption, but there are some bad actors in our industry that try to make it seem like they, like the financial advisor's job is to outperform and avoid these types of events by doing certain tactical moves. And I, I just feel like it's almost dishonest because then when you do find someone who has the wrong expectation, they didn't just come up with that on their own. They, they heard that somewhere that, oh, well, this other person told me they're going to outperform the market and they're going to avoid these downturns and this and that, which we know is not true. That's uh, always something that's kind of hard to overcome as well. When you juxtapose the actual experience you have with an advisor versus somebody who wants to be your advisor and what they're telling you, those two things are very different. Yeah. And for me, it reminds me of somebody in an interview. If you go back and you look at every employee you've ever hired and you look at the interview, is how they self-described themselves what you actually experienced with them as an employee. It's probably a disconnect there. Definitely. The perception when you were dating versus when you were married. This is a dangerous one. Don't use that one. Probably a gap there. <laughs> no, the gap there I'm describing is that naturally we always want to put our best self forward and we want to present. It's our own self-marketing, mm-hmm. right? We want to present our best self. But in reality, when you spend enough time with somebody, you know who they are. And I'll say this from my wife's perspective. I am very different than she probably thought when we were dating. And now she knows all the skeletons in my closet and uh, all my shortcomings. Oh, you like that? That was good. On my last name? There you go. You didn't even pick that up. I picked, yeah, I picked it up. Five foot seven. Last yeah, I wasn't going to bring up the, the short part. I was there just going to bring up the last name part. <laughs> Fair enough. So there is that disconnect. Uh, aligned with what you're saying there, I had somebody, actually, I've had this question a handful of times, but they say, what kind of return should I assume, right? For this portfolio you, you designed, I'm vetting out a few advisors, and I understand that total return is the summation of income plus appreciation. You've talked a lot about the income that would be produced in a dividend growth portfolio, Trevor. Now tell me about the appreciation, and how does that come to a total return? And I always say, hey, I'm going to give you a disclaimer first. I'm going to tell you what the expectation over the next 10 years that I think would be fair. But let me tell you where I'm getting this number from, where valuations are currently, where interest rates are, and how I think the next decade could very well look different than the last 100-year average. But if you're interviewing two, three, four, five advisors, you can say whatever number rolls off your tongue. You can say 15%, you could say 2%, you could say 8%. I wouldn't put a lot of confidence in that number if I was vetting out advisors I would say, hey, tell me a little bit more of how you got to that number. And then you want to see, are they thoughtful in how they got to the conclusion? Or is it more sizzle than substance? That's good. More sizzle than substance. It's true, because if they just use the 60-year average, I think that's backwards looking, like you said. And uh, I guess the counter argument could be, well, why would you just pick 10 years? You know, especially if they're younger, then wouldn't they have a 30 or 40-year time horizon? But uh, it depends on the person. I think where they start is saying, hey, what do I think returns will be like over the next year? And I just say, I'm going to bow out because I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, one year is tough. And the easiest thing to do is say, hey, last year, that was 2021. Do you think a lot of people walked into the year thinking that markets were going to be up 28 or 30%? They didn't. Now we're in 2022. Do you think a lot of people walked into the year thinking markets would be down 25 to 30%? They didn't. 
the dispersion of outcomes is very wide when you're taking a long-term investment and measuring it in the short term. Again, those dispersions get very tight when the measuring periods get longer. Now, the last thing I'll touch on, I was in, I get the opportunity, much like you do, to sit in on meetings with other advisors, clients, or potential clients. And I was in a meeting with a very thoughtful person, and they were going through a lot of their macro concerns of what's going on in the world. And I think that their conclusions were intelligent, and they were very thoughtful. And it got me to this place of saying, in my own mind, you are being very descriptive of what's going on in the world. Here's the problem. Are you going to be able to be prescriptive? What do you do with all of that? Mm-hmm. So there happened to be two cups on the table, and I just grabbed these two cups, and I put them in front of me, unplanned, and I just said, when it comes to investing, there's two buckets, what you can control and what you can't control. When you're digesting this information, I would parse them out to those two buckets. What the Federal Reserve is going to do with interest rates, I can't control bucket. Where inflation is going to go, I can't control bucket. Then you take the burden away from you of having to take these descriptive things and taking action on them. Now, what belongs in the other bucket? Well, you can build a financial plan. Well, you can build a portfolio to support that financial plan. You can, if it was appropriate, hire an advisor to go shoulder to shoulder with to make sure that you're dotting all your I's and crossing all your T's. There's all the other financial planning items that you could tackle, right? The review of the estate plan, the looking over the tax strategies that would be helpful for your financial plan, going through all of your insurance policies, the what you can control bucket, there's a lot of things that you can be, you can put in there. But what I notice is a lot of people want to live in the I can't control bucket. And that's the hard part is when it comes to markets is there's always going to be uncertainty. And even the things you can control, they aren't going to necessarily going to uh, protect you or change anything in the short term. But if designed correctly, the, the outcome is, is going to be what you expect. I concur. <laughs> and we'll bring it full circle. The name of the article is Return on Stress. We can do that math very, really easy. The return on stress is zero. Now, neither Sean or I are jumping on this podcast to say, don't stress. I understand. You're going to stress. I stress. Sean stress. We know this. Stress is energy. What we're saying is grab that energy, redeploy it to something that will be healthy for you. So I know, for me, everybody has different ways of handling stress. Sometimes, and I'm okay if you laugh at me, Sean, but sometimes when I'm just super stressed out, I go home and I organize. I go clean my garage. I go do something just because I want to feel in control I want to get something done that with my hands that I can see and I can see how I started and how I finished. So sometimes for me, organizing is therapeutic when I'm stressed. That doesn't surprise me. For listeners, I've heard our uh, checklist podcast. It uh, makes a lot of sense. Okay. What do you do when you're stressed? I don't know. I watch you organize things and make checklists and it makes me feel better. (laughs) There you go. So what I would tell our clients is as best as you can, take that stress, wrap it up in a ball 
and try to use it as fuel for something that could be positive, whether that's the review of your financial plan, a meeting with your financial advisor, going to get a scoop of ice cream, whatever it might take, I would encourage you to not try to think that that stress is going to improve your results when it comes to investing. And I've done an incredible job thus far on not saying um. (laughs) We will get a count at the end of this podcast, and we will not count it when I'm describing the word um. Uh, Almost did it again. You're doing doing air quotes when he says um, so it protects him from the count. It protects me, exactly. So at this point, we will say if you have any questions or comments, you can email T-O-M at thebonsagroup.com. That's Tom at thebonsagroup.com. You can address it to Trevor or Sean. We'll ask that you rate the podcast, five stars or preferred, on the podcast app. All comments are welcome there as well. And we will be back next week with more of our Thoughts on money. Money. Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.